for our scripture reading today, scripture is going to be uh, read by a new member, Everett Pomer. Everett is a graduate student at George Washington University, and he wants me to let you know that he's on the autistic spectrum. Uh, and that that is a part of who he is. He's a wonderful part of our congregation. And we're going to hear God's word as he brings it to us today. The scripture reading today is from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea in the west shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The word of the Lord. Let me read that last verse again. You heard it clearly, but let me say it again. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Great promise. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Great command. Be strong and courageous. And if you go back earlier in the passage, enter the land that I'm giving to you. Let me share a couple of verses as to what happens next. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for in three days you are to cross over the Jordan, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God gives you to possess. So Joshua listened. He heard those promises. He heard that command. He trusted and obeyed. 
And God used him, his faith in God, and his love for the people to lead them into the place where they would fulfill God's purpose together. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bow before you. We ask that you would come to us. You have taught us through our Lord Jesus that we cannot live by bread alone, but only by every word that comes from your mouth. So take the word of Scripture and the word that is now proclaimed and breathe into it and through it a word into our hearts that we might know that we have met with you this day and strengthened by you, we might serve you better. In Christ's name we ask this. Amen. So in recent months in our sermons, we've been focusing on basic Christian faith, simple elements of what it is to be a practicing Christian. I've called the series Contours of Faith. We're sort of coming, going around the circle to say these are elements of what it means to believe. And in the past month or so, we've been speaking about the fact that God speaks, that the Christian God is a God who speaks. We often think that God is silent and that God doesn't say anything. But the God of Scripture is a God who speaks. The God of Scripture speaks through Scripture. The God of Scripture speaks through nature. The God of Scripture speaks through our Lord Jesus Christ. At the heart of God's revelation, God shares not only words and stuff, but himself, his very self with us in the person of our Lord Jesus. And in the teaching of Jesus, we not only have his life to follow and his death through which we have been brought into the family of God, but in the teaching of Jesus, at the core of his teaching, there is, as perhaps all of us know, there is love. God calls us through Jesus, speaks to us, and tells us that God wants us to be a people of love. And we looked at this last Sunday. We focused on what I might call personal love, the fact that you and I are to love one another. We are to love our neighbors. This kind of love, I said last week, was not merely to be about the warm fuzzies that we feel for others. That's not a bad thing. We should feel that, I suppose, from time to time with each other. But whether we feel it or not, the love that we find in the pages of Scripture is far more about doing stuff that maybe nobody else wants to do, but somebody has to do it anyway. Making time for someone. Going out of our way for someone. Noticing people. Drawing close to people that others don't want to draw close to. Entering into their lives and needs when you know that it's, well, in some way it's going to consume you a little bit. Usually this kind of love that is spoken of in the scripture is not that hard. It's not as if we can't do it. But it's far more that it's annoying or inconvenient. There are stories in the scripture about this again and again, like Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Who wants to do that? Anybody can do it, but who wants to do that if it needs to be done who will step up to the plate or letting go of grudges or allowing disappointment to dwell in our hearts so that we take it out on others or going to the other side of town when we'd far rather just stick in our own little world right here or planning ahead when it's easier just to sort of go with the flow. Doing these kinds of things enables us to love in the way that Jesus loved and to love one another personally in that kind of way. This kind of love stands in contrast to what I described last week in the words of sociologist Christian Smith as therapeutic, moralistic deism. That's what he calls it, therapeutic. Just We just want to be healthy in some kind of a way. We want God to help us with that. We need to be moral in some kind of a way. But don't let any of these things inconvenience you too much. 
God is not going to ask that much of you. God is there sort of when you need God, but it's just not that hot or heavy. And he says this is prevalent in churches, young people in particular he's looking, but I think it's in every age, across the world. Commitment, but not that serious, therapeutic, moralistic deism. You can look it, look it up. But that's not what we have in Scripture. This call to love is inconvenient. It's often awkward. It's possible. But hey, we have choices to make as to whether or not we do it. Personal love last week. That was our theme. This week, I want us to focus on what I'm going to call corporate love, loving corporately, community love, loving a community back into health, just as we can love individuals back into health. Jesus shows his love for us in that he not only dies for us individually, but he dies to create the church. He is passionate about community, and his love is a love not just for us as individuals, but it's a love for us as the body of Christ, as the community of believers. Corporate love, not just for individuals, but when a community is in some kind of a need. So what kind of needs are there in communities uh, that we might have? Well, we might have a need when people are actually living together, but there is no community there at all. They're just isolated individuals, circumstances, maybe some kind of oppressive power is keeping us apart so that we're just individuals, but the community, well, it's not functioning there at all, and so there's no possibility of mobilizing to be effective as a community of people. Or maybe the life in a community has been slipping. There was love in the community at one point, but now they're just cliques, and the powerful are just paying attention to the powerful and they're not caring for those who are somehow on the outside of the circle, the weak and those who are at the bottom, in their perception at least, at the bottom. They're not worth being concerned about. And so the community life is fractured because it's us and it's them. Or maybe there's a community that once uh, thrived, but it's forgotten its roots. It's forgotten its reason for, for being. There's been some mission drift. So they're off doing this, that, or the next thing, but they've forgotten the core of who they are. And somebody needs to stand up and be a teacher in that kind of a situation to motivate them again. Or maybe a community that once existed has fallen apart and it's no longer in existence. But it needs to be rebuilt. But there are dangers and obstacles along the way. And something needs to happen for the community to be reshaped when it's lost its way like this. These are the kinds of problems that we see in community life, corporate life, and all kinds of different organizations in our world today. They're not uncommon. But it's not as if this is new. I mean, these kind of situations in which communities are fractured, it's as old as the hills. It's as long as people have been trying to come together in one way, shape, or form. And when we look back thousands of years to the pages of Scripture, we see the same kind of community needs there in the pages of Scripture. But what we also see are people who actually rise up to bring God's love and healing into the community as a whole where it didn't exist before. To nurse, as it were, a community back to health or to create health where there was no community in the first place. So think back to the days of Moses, for example, somewhere around 1,400-1,500 years before Christ here, people of Israel are slaves in Egypt, part of the 
plan of the leaders of Egypt is to make sure nobody gets together to form a powerful group within the land. So let's kill off all the baby boys, warn them that if they do anything that vaguely looks like seeking justice in their situation, we're going to kill this right off the bat. So no community there of any strength of any kind there. And Moses steps into the picture and he steps alone into the presence of the most powerful person on earth, the king of Egypt, and confronts him about this. Bonds the people together by God's command to give them a practice which will bind them together for thousands of years afterwards, the practice of the Passover. And then he leads them out of Egypt across the Red Sea to the Promised Land, turns them from a group of isolated individuals into a community of laws. Not a community just of people, but of laws. One nation bound together by God's law under God. The community loved by this person. A few hundred years later, the community of God's people, the north uh, called Israel, the south called Judah, once cared for those at the top and the bottom, uh, no longer cares for those at the bottom. The rich become richer, the poor become poorer, the two split up. The community needs healing, so it needs justice. And the call for justice to be named, and God raises up numerous prophets who will speak to this, Isaiah and Amos and Micah, who will proclaim God's passion for the whole of the community and not the parts of the community by themselves, to build the community back up. You've got to notice those who are on the underside of community life. And he challenges, they challenge the powerful to use their power to care for the weak. There isn't actually much evidence that the people were willing to listen to the prophets. Time and again, they didn't listen, and eventually... They didn't listen so much that the whole of the community began to be fractured as people were carted off into exile and the land left desolate. The joy of all of community life when it's working well, all disappearing from the land. So the people are now in exile and they're in exile. They are identified as belonging to one people, but they're generally pretty powerless because as in Egypt, they cannot come together to function as a strong unit within the society. And then Somebody wants to pick them off, to kill them. Genocide is what is planned. And God raises up one person who loves God and loves the community enough to risk her life to save the lives of others and to be a source through whom the community can once again have cohesion. And that person is Esther. And around the same kind of a time, around 450 years or so before the birth of Christ, after this, period of exile is drawing to an end, and people are saying, we want to get back to our homeland again. God raises up community leaders, community lovers, like Ezra and Haggai and Nehemiah, a preacher, a prophet, and a bricklayer, a construction manager, to build up the city of Jerusalem again. So they want to come. They want to form a community, but the structures are not in place through which that community can be formed. That God raises up people who will step into the breach, step up, and do what needs to be done so that when they come together, it won't just be isolated individuals living in the same space, but a real community is established there. And God provides this through people who love God and who love to serve God by serving other people. Of all these biblical stories of people responding personally to God's love, and then loving the community as a whole into health and strength again. My favorite story is the one that we read from Joshua this morning, the book of Joshua, the story of Joshua, 
taking over the leadership of God's ancient people at the moment that their great leader Moses dies. It's a moment of high anxiety for everyone, for Joshua stepping into Moses' shoes, and for the people who have never had any leader other than, than, than Moses in all of their existence as a community, as a people. I mean, it's just, they don't know anything other than what they've had in the past. He led them out of the hell of slavery. Moses had personally confronted the power of the king, and they'd watched this happen. He had moved the people forward when they wanted to move back. They said, stuff this, we want to go back to where we were before. Even if it's slavery, we want to go back. He had prayed for the people when they didn't deserve a prayer. He had faced up to rebellion in their ranks and frustration which had overflowed. And yet he had pulled them all together into a cohesive whole. And now he was gone. Moses was gone. And the understudy, the assistant, was called by God to fill his shoes. And he did. He did. Listen again to some of the verses in our passage. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to you. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. This book of the law, all the laws which Moses had brought together, given by God, codified, written down, shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. How to love God, how to love your neighbor, the substance of the law. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. It's what God wants. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened, don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God, what a great promise, is with you wherever you go. So the sober truth comes out. Moses is dead. No going back. Life will never be the same again. The challenge is issued. Cross the Jordan River into the promised land. The promises on which this action are going to be premised are given again and again. I will give the land to the people. I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you as I was with, with Moses. I think that might have been the biggest fear of all, that God would bless Joshua, but Moses was his real favorite. And sometimes maybe we think of this in terms of some other person. No. As with Moses, so I will be with you. And I want you to succeed. And I will help you succeed. I promise that, says God. All of these words would be unnecessary if there weren't apprehension in the air. I mean, Joshua has to be filled with apprehension, and the people as well. This is a moment of radical change within their lives. But what we find in the text is that after God has spoken, the apprehension may still be there, but it's not crippling in the way it was before. There's a movement forward, and it's led by Joshua, who steps up to the plate. He rises to the challenge not for his own glory, but on behalf of the people whom he has been called to love and serve as a community. And he heeds God's call to lead, and he says to the people, let's do this together. Together. So verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, 
Pass through the camp, command the people, prepare your provisions, for in three days you are to cross over the Jordan, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God gives you to possess. They answered Joshua, this is verse 16, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. How powerful that must have been to Joshua to hear those words, this change of allegiance. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. And I'm sure Joshua said he will. He's promised that. It's a great story. It's about corporate love, loving God. No doubt, Joshua loved all kinds of people, but he loved his call to serve the people as a community. And he takes responsibility for this, and he steps up to the plate, and he leads at a critical morning, I, moment. I love the story. But I have to admit that there's a danger in this story and a danger in the stories that I've alluded to along the way. And it needs to be named. The danger is this, that we might think that loving corporately in this way is really only for the great people, the people at the top, the big names that are out there, Moses, Joshua, Isaiah, all of these big ones. And that actually this doesn't really have much to do with us who are sort of sitting in the pews minding our own business, doing our own thing. Of course, nothing could really be further from the truth than that. Leadership is needed. The love of the community is needed at every level of every organization. Stepping out, having courage, trusting God's promises that they are for us and not just for them, whoever they may be, not just for the Moseses of the world, but for us as well. At every level, that kind of leadership is needed. And I think this is one reason why the Bible has within it lists of people who generally we know next to nothing about. Ordinary people who in their day and age stepped up. Maybe this is where they were. Maybe they're not up here. But here's where they were. And they took the next step. They took the next step from wherever they were, one step up from where they were. And it may have taken enormous courage to do that. There may have been all kinds of fear pulling them back from that, but that's what they did at whatever place they were and played their part in the community, loved the community as well as loving other people. One of these lists is in Romans 16. There's another one that I refer to in the bulletin in Paul's letter to the Colossians, but let me read some verses from Romans 16. One of these lists of people who, by and large, we know very little about. I commend to you, writes the Apostle Paul, our sister Phoebe. She's a deacon of the church at Kentria, which is a town in southern Greece. So that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints. He's writing to Christians in Rome. She has traveled from Greece to Italy, and she's probably the bearer of this letter. So that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints and help her in whatever way she may require from you. For she has been a benefactor of many, and of myself as well. So I read that and say to myself, in what way was she a benefactor? Maybe she gave money. That's one way that the word could be used to help with the mission. But maybe she was the kind of person who put her hand on Paul's shoulders and Paul, the great missionary in the church, there probably weren't too many people who could put their hand on his shoulder and say, listen, uh, you're doing okay. Good job. Well done. You've touched my life. You've touched my heart benefactor of many, and of myself as well, and stepped up to do what she could do 
And perhaps she'd have said, ah, oh, I don't need to do that, don't need to say that. No, I think I do. I wonder what was going on in the background. We really don't know much there. Then we come across the next uh, group of people in verse 3. Greet Prisca, often called Priscilla, and Aquila, husband and wife team, who work with me in Christ Jesus and who risk their necks for my life. Wow. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their house. So they open up their house for the church. There are no church buildings. People have to meet somewhere. It's like the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the walls around the city. Someone needs to open their place for people to meet. Practical, down to earth, take a step. They do that. And the church, like a small group in our congregation, we need places for people to come. This is what they did in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, greet Mary, who has worked very hard among you, Andronicus and Junia, my relatives, who were in prison with me. There's a fair amount of suffering going on here for Christ. They are prominent among the apostles. An apostle is somebody who, when asked to go, goes. When sent, this one moves. They lead. They love the community in this way. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker, my beloved Stachys. And then verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned in a number of places in the scripture. We know a little bit about them, but we know nothing else about Tryphena and Tryphosa and Andronicus and Junia and Mary and Urbanus and Stachys. Except they were lovers of God. And they were an essential part of the community playing their part, stepping up in love for the health of the corporate life of God's people. Without them, putting ourselves back in their day or their day, our day, there would have been no Sunday school teachers, no choir members, no people to plan special events, no serving cookies, no making sandwiches, which is going on after the services, over downstairs in Stone Hall, no going on youth trips with a team in which our youth are safe and surrounded by mentors, no looking over somebody's shoulder to say, hey, has it been a hard week? And saying, yeah, it has. Do you want to talk? Yes, I do. No phone calls, no sharing of finances, which make so much possible. The community becomes ineffective, falls apart. It's never as strong as it might be. We're great, powerful influencers who love each other, but the community is not as strong as it ought to be. But when communities are strong, then people are strengthened. And very often there's a powerful witness out there which can never be accomplished just by individuals. One of the images of Corporate love that I love is the image of geese flying in V formation. Doug Moore describes what's happening this way. He says, the formation looks static, but it's constantly changing, at times making it look as if the formation is going to be lost. But this is what's really happening, he says, as one leader tires, another comes forward to take its place. And the, older lead, the old leader falls into, into the pulling draft of the new one. And so it goes right on down the line. The fresher, stronger birds instinctively help the tired ones. In this way, he says, they can battle through storms that threaten the most powerful ships. In this way, keeping this up, they can fly hundreds of miles and reach a new destination that would be impossible if they just went by themselves. Christ 
loved not just you and me, nor just the world as a whole, but loved the church, a community of people that he was passionate about building up and gave himself for us so that we might give ourselves to other people personally, loving them, but give ourselves to the community as a whole, that as a community we might bear witness to Jesus Christ in a larger community, our nation, and indeed much of the Western world, which is losing its vision of God and of Christ. The good news that I have to share, my friends, is that National is filled with people who love personally and who love corporately. We have large numbers of people who get this and who know that the strength of the community is really important in this day and age, and many of you in all kinds of ways have stepped up. But we will never be as effective as we might be until everyone steps up from no matter where they are, one step more than they've taken before. Be strong. Be very courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed. Do not for one minute think that the word of God to Joshua is just for Joshua. It is for every single one of us. The Lord wants us to succeed together and has a place for us in the future, a plan and a purpose that he wants us to enter individually and together. And this can and it will happen when we heed the word of Christ to love our neighbor and the community into which we've been called. May God give us the strength and the power to do this for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you that we are not alone, but you've given to us a family and within this family of faith, we can be nurtured and encouraged, challenged and changed and serve and meet needs just as our own needs are met. Build up your body in this place and wherever you are named, that we might be a light for the sake of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.